0: Good morning. Good morning, you know, this passage might seem a little unusual for this morning, the first day and first Sunday in, in this new building. But I really believe that God appointed this passage and this message for us today. James deals with a question in these verses that we all have asked at some time and that is, what is the way back to God when you are not as close to Him as you once were? What is the way back to God when you have wandered away from Him? What is the way back to God when you have stumbled and fallen into some sin? What is the way back to God when you just know that you've lived, been living for yourself and your own desires? What is the way back to God when you've compromised with the world? What is the way back when you've gotten into some big fight with your spouse or with someone at work or maybe even someone in the church? What is the way back to God when your attitudes of your heart and your mind are just not what they should be and you know it? You've engaged in self pity or grumbling or jealousy. Well, these are the things that James is dealing with in this chapter. He confronts people who are quarreling with each other, seeking their own pleasures, and are mad or angry at people who get in their way. There's coveting, there's jealousy, there's envy and strife. They have become friends with the world and its culture and its values. And it's not only these people that James is speaking to. These could be things that are going on in some of our lives right now. And in some measure... At some time, these things have gone on in all of our lives. And James wants us to know how serious this is. So he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? To be a Christian is to be spiritually married to God. It is to be so united with God that you are considered the spouse of God or the bride of Christ. You have been called into a love relationship with God. The Christian life is a romance. A romance with God deeply loving you and with you loving Him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And if you fall into a place, if you go into a place if you wander into a place where instead of passionately loving God, instead you are loving your own interests or things of the world, that is spiritual adultery, according to James. But the good news here in this passage is that God wants you back. God always wants you back. And James tells us here in this passage that there is a way back to God. And basically, these verses that Mike read for us this morning just outline the way back to God when you are no longer as close to him as you once were. James tells us there is a a way back to God and what that way is, what that path is. There is a way for you to be near to God once again. Amen. There's a way for you to know the sweetness of fellowship with God, a way for you to know his favor, a way for you to be lifted up and exalted. And our passage this morning is a roadmap for you to get back to that place of nearness to God. And if you are maybe this morning you are living in close, sweet harmony or close fellowship with God today. When the things that we talk about this morning will help keep you there. Because these are things, these these things that James prescribes for us here are attitudes of the heart that we all need to live continually in. So the way back to, to being close to God all starts with God's willingness to have us back. Thank God we have a gracious God who is willing to have us back. He wants you back, and he is always calling you back to him. He is always speaking to his people, return to me. In Joel 2.12, he says, Yet even now, return to me with all of your heart. And that's what he is speaking to you always come to me with all of your heart. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and relenting of evil. In Malachi 3, 7, the Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. Sounds a little bit like James, doesn't it? Return to me and I will return to you. In Hosea, God pleads with his people, "O Israel. Come back, O Israel, return to me. In Revelation, Jesus spoke to the churches. You have forsaken your first love. You've gotten away from something that you used to have. He says, remember the heights from which you have fallen. Be earnest and repent. Jesus was saying to the church, Turn around, come back, return to me. And even to the lukewarm church at Laodicea where they were so self-sufficient, they thought they had everything they needed. Jesus said to that church, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He desires to be close to you and for you to be close to him. And I think it is so important to know this desire of God's heart for you. It is so important to, you know, for you to know this disposition, this attitude that God holds as he thinks about you. For who can return to a God who would squash you if you return, if you return to him? Who can t- return to a God who would turn his back on you if you turn to him and says, No, I don't want you anymore. But after talking about our sins in the most direct way, James says... But he gives more grace. Or the New American Standard says, but he gives greater grace, a greater grace. You may have fallen away from the way that you should be living and the way that you could be living. But there is more grace for you. There is grace that is greater than your sins. God always has more grace to give you. God is abounding in grace. Grace is God's favor to undeserving sinners. And with grace comes God's forgiveness, His love, His kindness, His acceptance, His embrace, His joy and His peace. So no matter where you're at this morning spiritually, no matter how far you may have wandered from God, no matter how you may even have compromised ...with the world, no matter how much fighting and name-calling has been going on in your home... ...no matter how far from God you have gotten, maybe it's been for one hour or a week or for years... ...there is more grace for you to go on. There is more grace for you to return to God, for God to receive you back... ...so that you can get back to living for God and serving Jesus Christ. No matter how sin may have mastered you for a season... He gives more grace, and he does this through Christ. In Christ, the Bible makes clear, God has done everything possible to open his arms to you. In fact, he stands with his arms open to you because and solely because of the work of Christ. God used Christ's death on the cross to remove every barrier to friendship and intimacy and closeness between you and God. God used Christ's death on the cross to remove every barrier to you being close and near to God. Paul put it this way, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. What a beautiful phrase. What a glorious phrase. God did everything to reconcile you to himself. Not counting your sins against you so that you could be reconciled to God. Therefore, Paul says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. We beg you. We plead with you. Be reconciled to God. And that's basically James' plea this morning in this passage. We beg you. To draw near to God, to come back to that closeness, that intimacy, that sweetness that you once knew with God. God has done everything necessary for you to be reconciled to him, to enjoy him, to be loved by him every day, at all times, in every situation. And this is not just the gospel that you need to hear to get saved. It's the gospel you need to live with every day. Christ's death not only reconciled you to God back some, back some time years ago or sometime in your past when you prayed to receive Christ. He keeps you reconciled. He keeps you in this acceptable condition to come back to God. You cannot earn your way back to God. You cannot work your way back to God. You cannot do enough penance to earn to earn or work your way back to God, you get back to God through his grace. After listening all these and detailing all these sins that James is so blunt about, he says, But God gives more grace. But James goes on, and we're gonna we're gonna just follow down this road back to nearness to God. But this grace comes to the humble. But he gives more grace, as the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to oppose you? I don't. God sets himself himself against a proud person, but he opens his heart. He opens his heart and his favor to you as you humble yourself. Joshua this verse. Last week, Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen. God said, I live in a high and a holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Do you want God to dwell with you? He promises that he will if you, if you come to him in humility, if, to, if you come to him in just humble neediness. You know, we sang that song, God, how I need you. I need you every hour. If we come to him in just that humble neediness, he says he dwells. God dwells. The God who dwells in heaven also dwells with a person in a contrite and humble spirit, a lowly spirit. And this is not a call to just get real low at one moment in your life. You know probably probably all of us have been there at some crisis, at some some point where we've just been broken and we've been humbled and brought to our knees and perhaps to tears. And that's, that's good. That's good. But this is a call to live in humility before God as a way of life. And verse 7 goes on to say, You humble yourself by submitting to Him. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then or therefore to God. To submit to God means that you give up yourself to God. And some here may need to do that in a fresh way this morning. It means an absolute surrender of your heart and your will and yourself to God. It is it is to go to God and to say I am yours. You are no longer your own person when you submit to God. The cry of your heart is not my will, but your will be done. And you give yourself up. You, just, you abandon yourself. You give yourself up to God's loving rule and authority. And this is for your good because God gives grace to those who do this. God gives grace to the humble. Charles Spurgeon said, To not submit to God is not only rebellion, it is insanity. I love that. To not submit to God is not only rebellion, it's insanity. He goes on, It is cruelty, he he actually uses the word wanton, It is wanton cruelty to ourselves when we place ourselves under the tyranny of our own self. You're being cruel to yourself when you don't submit to God. Oh, that men would submit themselves unto God and be willing to be blessed. And I like what he, it's just so clear what he's saying. To not live every day, and really every moment of every day in submission to God is insane because we are being in the utmost way cruel and harsh to ourselves by living apart from God. And His ways the ultimate value of people in our culture is personal freedom and people say things like you know I just got to be my own person I just got to be free to achieve my own goals to fulfill my own dreams. I want to be free to follow my own passions To think my own thoughts to follow my own will and that all sounds so good except It is hostility toward God it is not submission to God and it will ultimately ultimately lead to your own ruin. God does not give his grace to someone who pursues this kind of autonomy. And yet even as Christians we can be seduced into that kind of worldly thinking. I got to be free, I got to be me. But God calls us to a glad and joyful submission. And the paradox is that in submission, there is great freedom. We are free from the law that condemns. In Christ, we're free from the law that condemns us. We're free from trying to please men, from trying to please people. We're free from trying to be somebody or be something. We're free from our sin and from the misery of sinning. But that all comes, all these blessings come through a complete and utter submission to God. There, and there is a glorious freedom in submission to God because in submission we are living finally as we were made to live. One of the very clear tests of submission to God is your relationship with others. If there is if there's still fighting and strife and anger and jealousy and envy, then your heart is not submitted to God. God, through James is calling us away from those kinds of things. And he's calling us into this place of humble submission to, to him. And that will show in our, in our humility and our gentleness. That will flow out of us in our humility and gentleness to others. Now, after you humbly submit to God, the next step is to resist the devil. Now, I've listed these things kind of in order of steps, but... I don't know if they're really in steps. It's it's, it's a total concept, but it helps me to break it down this way. So after you submit to God, the next step is to resist the devil. Verse 7 goes on. Well, it starts out, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you have wandered away from God on any level, in any way, you probably don't think the devil has anything to do with it, but he has. If you've been losing your temper, quarreling with people, demanding your own way, making an idol out of things other than the Lord your God, if you have become hooked hooked on or enslaved to some thing or pleasure, then you have been living under the influence of the devil. Sinning and worldliness is not living in freedom. It is being held captive by someone who hates your soul. And we are promised that if we resist him, he will flee. What an amazing promise. I hope you get a hold of this promise in this passage. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan is powerful. Satan is powerful. But he is subject to any believer who is subject to God. When you submit yourself to God, then Satan will flee when you resist him. You can say no. You can say, Satan, I am not going there. You're not gonna, I'm not going to let you take me there. I resist you. Anytime the devil is at work upon you, in any way, you can resist him, and he has to leave. So many believers are held in bondage to some habit or addiction or some thought pattern that is clearly from the devil. And they tell themselves over and over, I can't stop this. I can't change this. I can't say no. The Bible says you can. The Bible says he will Flee from you. And this promise applies to all aspects of the devil's work. It applies to his attempts to to draw you into sin. His suggestions to discourage you. To oppress you. To accuse you. To harass you in any way. When you sense the presence of darkness. When you sense the presence of evil. The Bible says resist the devil. And he will flee from you. The next step is now simply to draw near to God. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or come near to God and he will come near to you. If you're looking for a secret to relationship with God, I mean, if you're looking for a secret, this I guess you would say is an open secret. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Here's the secret to being close to God, to knowing God, to experiencing God. I hear people say things like, I wish I knew the Lord like so and so. Well, the secret is that that person has made a practice of drawing near to God. And therefore, they enjoy God being near to them. It's that simple. In this verse, uh, we see... A couple, at least, of really amazing things. Uh, One, in this verse, I see the difference between the Old and New Covenant. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, God told Moses, don't come any closer or do not come near. But in the New Covenant, God says, draw near to me. The, The veil has been torn in two. God speaks that way to us because the way to God has been opened for sinful people like us by the blood of Jesus. So the invitation is always open to you to draw near to God. Come, come to me, come and draw near. The second amazing thing that we see here, which we touched on a little bit earlier, is just that God wants to be near to you. I find this overwhelming. I find it thrilling. I find it encouraging. Um, I find it really the wonder of wonders is that God wants to be near to me and to you. God created billions of stars and galaxies more than we can count. He is the God of heaven and earth. And yet what matters to him is to be near to you and for you to be near to him. He wants to draw you to him and he wants to draw near to you. God wants friendship and fellowship with you. This drawing near to God is, to me, the very essence of what prayer is or what prayer should be. I think people, have, Christians have such uh, different concepts in their mind when we use the word prayer, and they think all sorts of her, terrible things, horrible things, like I don't pray enough, or you know I need to, you know, get, go spend hours on my knees or whatever. Not, not that that wouldn't be good, believe me. But prayer is essentially drawing near to God. Prayer is not just saying words and making requests. Prayer is the desire of your soul to be near to God. And you can do. That, even at times without words, you turn your attention to God. You lift your heart to Him. Uh, as it says in Psalm 25, 1, which I love, lift, you lift your soul to, to Him. You come near to Him to know His love for you, to become aware of His presence, to find peace for your heart, to be, re, to re, be reminded of His fatherly care for you in all your troubles, to enjoy fellowship or communion with Him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The next step is to deal with those sinful habits and actions. Verse 8 goes on, and this is a verse you don't hear in Christianity much anymore. But verse 8 goes on, "'Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded.'" Christians do talk a lot about what to do if you sin. And we talk about the importance of confession repentance, of getting back in fellowship, and there's there's a place for that, but I love what James says. How about if you just stop sinning? How about if you just wash your hands of the dirt and purify your hearts from the filth? I'm afraid sometimes we get caught up in an endless cycle of sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess there comes a time to wash your hands and be done with your sin. Does anybody agree with that? And so this morning I ask you, uh, what have you been doing that you need to stop doing? You know, sometimes we make the Christian life so uh, complex, like there's some secret formula to, to getting back into this nearness with God. And it's just... You know, draw near to God, humble yourself, draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, stop sinning. I mean, there's, there's a simplicity about it. What have, you, what have you been doing that you need to stop doing? What do you need you to wash your hands of this morning? What's been going on in your heart that you need to cleanse your heart of this morning? Is there, is there bitterness? Is there ungratefulness? Is there complaining? Is there discontentment? Is there anger, lust, unforgiveness, or, or something else? Next, James tells us to grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's, that's verse 9. You know, we know throughout Scripture that God loves for us to be cheerful. And you know, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. I mean, God loves for us to serve him cheerfully. But when you or I have been in a cycle of sin, when we, have, when we have fallen, laughter is out of place. There are just certain spiritual conditions that you fall into in your life that call for grief and mourning and tears, not for joy and laughter. I have seen people who name the name of Christ as their Savior, and yet everything, and I mean everything, is a joke. You know, it's just yuck, 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 yuck. And, you know, I love people with a sense of humor. I don't have, I'm not, I'm not the greatest, I'm not a comedian at all. You know, I, Luke got all of that. And I love, I love the sense of humor. But there's something wrong when everything... Is just a joke. And if you try to talk to these people about the Lord. Or about anything service. They don't seem to want to go there. There's a frivolous attitude about God. And the things of God. Nothing is taken seriously. And James says. If you are not walking closely with the Lord. You need to change your laughter to mourning. You know until you get things right with God. God. Weep and wail and mourn and grieve. That's the only right thing for you to do until you get right with God. I know of a girl who was brought up in a Christian home, professed to be a Christian, was living very loose morally. She had slept with several boys, gotten pregnant, got an abortion. And sometime after this, she would come to church and she would often sit and giggle or snicker During the messages and one morning and I still don't know if I if if I should have or not, but one morning I came so close to stopping the message and calling her out from the front. I didn't do it. I did call her up and meet with her. And she obviously had no no grief or mourning over her sin. You cannot get right with God with a frivolous attitude towards sin. So if you have been a friend of the world and, and you know it, you know your just heart has gotten out into the world, or if you've, you've gotten into to jealousy or envy or strife or all these things that James has been talking about, if, you, if you've been fighting with your spouse or your neighbor or your brother or sister in Christ, part of the way back to God is to grieve over these things. Sorrow is a part of genuine repentance. It just is. So when you look back and see that for the last week or the last year you've you've been in some way living against God in some area of your life, it should cause you to grief. Now, it is not that your grief and tears can earn your forgiveness. I just want to make that absolutely clear. We are not your grief and your tears don't take the place of the blood of Jesus. All right? It is always and only the blood of Jesus that brings you back to intimacy with God or keeps you in that place of intimacy with God. Forgiveness is, is, is not the issue here. The, the issue is getting your heart back to a place of softness toward God. This is not a call for anyone to be permanently morose or gloomy. James is not saying that we should all live in sadness forever. As one commentator said, he is describing the beginning steps of coming back to God or coming to God. He is not describing the final outcome of coming to God. The outcome of coming to God is joy and singing and even laughter. Ephesians 5 says it is making melody in your heart to the Lord. It is to rejoice always. James is not saying that mourning and grief are, are, are more spiritual than laughter and joy. He's, he's de- not denying the joy of the Christian life, not at all. But he tells us when, when you have turned away from God, we need to feel sorrow. Because only then are you really placing yourself in that place of humility and brokenness before God. Where you can receive the grace of God and be restored to the joy of the Lord. And then verse verse 10 is just a summary of all that James has been telling us in this passage. And he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Everything that he's been talking about in this passage is just humbling yourself before the Lord, and, and he will lift you up. God's intent is not to put you down, God's intent is not to leave you down, God's intent is not to make you miserable. His intent is to lift you up. The point is not to see how long and loud you can cry about your sins as though that were an end in itself. The point is to humble yourself over your sins so that, you can, so that God can lift you up or exalt you. In another place in Scripture, God says, Those who honor me, I will honor. It's just an unbreakable rule of Scripture. Those who honor me, I will honor. I will lift you up. If you humble yourself, God says, I will lift you up. Your life will be brighter, happier, more exalted in every way if you humble yourself before God. Proverbs says, the way of the sinner is hard. We think the way of the Christian is hard. (laughs) But the Bible says, the way of the sinner is hard, but the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. And the path of following Jesus is certainly not all prosperity and good times. But have you not seen that when you humble yourself before God, things get better? Amen? It's okay. You can you know Josh gave you permission to say amen during his prayer. You can say amen here too. You know, when you humble yourself before God, you think you think you're, 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 you're going low before God. You're humbling yourself. And then, and then you're going low, and then, and then God raises you up. He exalts you. There's a buoyancy. There's a hope. There's a sense of blessing. By going low before God, He raises us up. Isn't that wonderful? It is for your own good and eternal happiness that God commands you to humble yourself and to come to Him. God is for you. He loves you with a jealous love. And He wants you to come near to Him this morning so He can lift you up. Let's pray. Father, um, I ask you to take these words and by the power of your spirit, not by the power of my words or by the power of my personality or the power of myself, which I am nothing and feel incredibly weak, but by the power of your spirit, Lord take these words into the recesses of every heart in this room this morning and do your work. Lord, do your work here this morning by the power of your Spirit. Lord, perhaps there's someone who's wandered far from you or just is not as close to you as they used to be. Or maybe there's someone here who has stumbled really badly. God, remind them that there, that there is greater grace and touch and tug on every heart here To draw near to you. For those who are walking with you, Lord, we want to walk more closely with you. We want to be more near to you. We want to experience more of your nearness with us. Lord, we entrust ourselves individually and as a church family to you. May we live out this message. May we humble ourselves as a people, as a church that you may lift us up for your honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.